Lucky Land slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The next episode of Nerd, Flicks, and Chill will start in 3, 2, 1, 0. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill, and welcome to the very first episode of Game of Thrones First Take, exclusively on LRM. Season 7 of Game of Thrones kicked off with episode 1, Dragonstone, and that episode has just ended, and we're here to give you our first take on what went down in Westeros. But before we get into it, uh, we want to let you know that we will also be doing a full detailed breakdown of the episode on our regular podcast feed, Nerdflix and Chill, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website, nerdflixandchill.com. Shall we begin? Yeah, absolutely. Uh <laughs> The, the long night is over, and we are back. We are now on season, and season seven kicked off with a cold opening. It did. I thought we uh, were being treated to a flashback. I was a little confused for a moment. Yeah, no. Instead, Arya stuck around and decided to finish off the rest of the Frey family. Yeah, that was pretty badass. It was. I was surprised. I thought that uh, she would be moving on and that we wouldn't see her in that same location again. And turned out that was not the case. She had to finish off some business with the phrase. Uh, I love the way that this was done. I love that they were able to bring the actor back, who plays Walter Frey, to give him this kind of moment to, to be back on screen. But also the speech that, that Arya slash Walter Frey gives, uh, it's it's really kind of this ultimate vengeance moment it is and i love that she even got a little uh fray-ish dig on how he treats women but knowing that she is actually a woman and she's taking control of this whole thing and made sure that the women in that room did not partake of that wine absolutely uh this there's a lot of uh woman power going on in this episode no doubt about it Oh, totally. To well, today of all days has been a huge women power day in geekdom. And I'm talking about Doctor Who as well, but that's another story altogether. Yeah, lots of women power in geekdom today. Yeah. So overall, I thought this was a really great premiere episode. Uh I I thought the end of season 6 was monumental in that it was like the end of the second act of this story. And season seven needed to begin as kind of the beginning of the final act. And I think that's exactly what this episode does. It does. And I thought it it moved pretty fast. You know, they were saying and they've kind of teased us for a while that this season is going to be moving at a very quick speed. And one of the first things <laughs> that stood out to me, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead, is that 
one of the things we were hoping didn't happen actually happened in this episode. And I'm talking about yeah. Cersei's knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she she knows all about Tyrion. I kind of wish that we would have been able to see her hear about it. You know, I know, I know. It was it was a little disappointing because I, I I definitely wanted to see that. And yeah, we talked in one of our uh, uh, speculation episodes that you know we were hoping that it wasn't going to be one of those things where she just says it in exposition that, well, Tyrion this, and, and as if it already happened. And so we were robbed of that moment when she learns of Tyrion. Yeah, that, it, it does kind of take the wind out of the sails of that revelation. I wish we would have been around to be able to actually uh, see it. But, you know, another thing that I noticed about this episode, um, aside from the pacing, aside from, you know... Um, all the different things with the cold open and some of that stuff. I was very surprised to see how expensive this show looks. The aesthetics of it have changed dramatically. This show looks very cinematic. It looks very expensive. And Sam is the only person that's not wearing black. Sam had a really shitty time in this episode. Yeah, literally. Although I would say, though, I think... It's been his biggest episode. That's like the most screen time we saw of him almost in the entire last season. Yes. In one of the most disgusting montages you'll ever see. Yes. <laughs> it was getting a little <laughs> rhythmic there for a little while. Like, are they breaking into like a production of Stomp or something? What's happening here? Yeah, it's, it's a weird stylistic touch that we don't usually see from Game of Thrones. No, not at all. I thought it was very... It, I, I didn't have a problem with it, but it did stand out to me. I was like, oh, well, this is different. Okay. But the cinematic look of the show, uh, it's something that we talked about in our earlier podcast at the end of season six, which you guys can find on nerdflixandchill.com. Um, we talked about how the last two episodes of season six were game changers and the show was never going to be the same. It could never look the same. Like that's what Miguel Sapochnik brought to it as a, as a director. He changed the trajectory of the show. So the aesthetics needed to change. The scope needed to change. And this really feels like a continuation of that. It really does seem to pick up pretty seamlessly. Yeah. We did have some really interesting shots in this, namely the overhead shot that we got of Winterfell. Yeah. That really stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I see an overhead shot, I always wonder if Bran is watching. Right. It just always kind of feels like one of those things. Because we did get some of those overhead shots last season, um, you know, particularly in the, the door episode. Uh, another thing that, that jumped out, and this is something they established right away, is the threat of the White Walkers. And goddamn, do they seem threatening. Yeah, that was a really, I thought at first, a very odd static shot where it's like, what are we looking at? Is it, are we looking at water? No, I don't think that's water. Okay, it's building. Okay, what is this? I thought that was a very interesting choice of this just looming shot of the White Walkers and the Whites kind of coming into frame and, and getting more focused and seeing them. And there were giants there yeah. are white giants. That's the that's the breaking news headline is that the army of the dead has fucking white walker giants. Do you think one of those was one one? Because the one that they kind of zoomed in on his face, he only had one eye. Did you notice that? Um, I 
did notice that, but I don't think that's one one because one one died in the north. He was south of the wall. Well, he he did, but I just thought that was interesting. I was like, oh wait a minute, he only has one eye. I would yeah. assume that they would have disposed of one one properly. Yeah, I don't but... think they drug him back north of the wall and then he was collected <laughs> by the next king. No, but there were three. There were three giants that I saw in that shot. Yeah, I mean, and, and just like that, they become this legitimate threat now, even more so than they have been. Plus, I mean, I feel like the Night's King kind of looms over this entire episode with the way we hear people talk about him. When Bran and Mira reach the wall, you know, Bran creeps out old Dolorous Ed about, you know, the, the, the Night's King is coming. Right, and then we get the discussions with Sam at the Citadel talking with Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Which we were correct in that we had speculated before that we thought he was going to be a maester uh, at the Citadel, and he was. Absolutely. Or is, rather. Yeah, he's the archmaester. So, yeah, I mean, that's that that's the threat that you feel kind of looming throughout this entire episode. There's a lot of talk about the army of the dead in this episode, just kind of tangentially around the entire thing. Well, I think that's what we're going to see a lot in this whole entire season. Um, usually in past seasons, they just kind of talk about them a little bit. You get a little glimpse of them at the beginning of the season or at the very end of the season. And, you know, granted we've had more as the seasons have progressed, but um, I have a feeling. And again, this is something that we've talked about in some of our speculation episodes that the amount of information and the amount of just expanse that I think we are in for just from this episode alone I think is going to be incredible. And it's, it's going to be massive. The amount of, stuff that actually happens yeah i mean if if this first episode is to introduce us to kind of reestablish the characters and the narratives to season seven and, and and really kick off this final act there's a lot of stuff that went down in this episode i mean i'll talk about the hound stuff in a little bit because that was the most fascinating por- portion of the whole episode for me um yeah. but where we didn't get a lot of the cersei stuff that we would have liked to have seen. I did get a lot of that from John and actually seeing John ruling in Winterfell. Yes. And I thought that yes. scene was great too. I did too. I was so happy to see him take command and take control. And that was, that has been one of my longstanding complaints about Jon Snow is that he's so emo and he's so sullen. And I, I'm glad that he, finally grew a pair of balls after the Battle of the Bastards and he put his foot down and this was something that they had been teasing for a while that there was going to be some contention between him and Sansa but quite honestly I think what we saw right now may be it. I mean she may um, uh, challenge him but I don't think it's going to be a real point of contention. You know, I, I said this on our last Game of Thrones podcast that we did when we broke down the season seven uh, second trailer. Uh, I said that I believe this whole Sansa John friction that they're promoting is one big red herring. And right. this episode really seems to kind of uh, support that in my mind. To me, this this conflict between the two, sure, it seems a little out of line, but the communication between the two of them is actually pretty good. I actually think their relationship is a little more solid than maybe what the uh, writers want us to think. 
No, I, I completely agree. But I think it's going to be good that uh, she has found her voice and she is using the ex- the awful, awful experiences that she has from being around Joffrey, from being around Cersei, from, you know, having been around Ramsay. And she's right. She has, she knows these people. She knows how they operate. And she is going to be a wealth of knowledge for John to be able to um, fight and defend against Cersei as, as she was yeah, I agree. for him against Ramsay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'd also be remiss if we did not point out that Liana Mormont gets a fucking moment in this thing that Hell is just yeah. badass. And she continues to be one of the most likable characters on the show. She has a moment anytime she's on screen. Yeah, she grabs that camera and just fucking goes with it, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she gets a really great moment. Basically, you know, and, and I like the way Brienne is kind of looking at her almost with like some, some pride. I think that there's, uh, there's kind of a recognition of her strength. Oh my gosh. Speaking of Brienne, I, <laughs> I was so happy to see Tormund and given his googly eyes to Brienne and when he leans down to Podrick and it's like, you are a lucky man. Right. After he gets knocked out by Brienne, <laughs> that just, that made me very happy i mean it is abundantly clear that she's just not that into him but it is very adorable to watch i know i'm i am on that train and i can't help it um and definitely a lot more to dive into in some of the winterfell stuff that i think we'll get to uh when we do our full breakdown of the show that you guys will be able to hear on uh, we'll post that around tuesday night on our um podcast feed oh yeah i'm gonna have to watch this episode a couple more times because I'm still kind of in that season premiere afterglow and still trying to process <laughs> everything. But there is one thing I'm I'm going to jump a little bit ahead here um, that really did stand out to me. And it was very subtly kind of placed um, when once, once Sam gets his keys and he breaks into the restricted section, like Hermione Granger does <laughs> uh, and he grabs the books and he takes them home and he's looking through the books. There was one page I don't know if you noticed this, although I'm sure you did, that they kind of lingered on, and it was a drawing of a dagger. I did notice that. Did you notice that? So there's been a lot of talk about this dagger. If anybody has seen uh, the Stark, quote-unquote, Stark reunion pictures that Entertainment Weekly posted a while ago, there was a lot of hubbub around this dagger that Arya was seen holding. And this is the dagger that's in this book. Right. And and supposedly this is the dagger that what's li- the dagger that Littlefinger had in season one that he threatened Ned Stark with, correct? Yes. So we're just wondering what the importance of this dagger is because it's in this book that's talking about the Long Night, and and we've seen pictures with Arya and this dagger. No sign of it with Arya in this episode, but. There's something really big and important with this dagger. So kind of stick a pin in it. Stay tuned. Watch the space. As Rachel Maddow says, I think there's going to be more with that later. Well, I think when you're going to go back and watch this episode the second time or the third time, you're going to notice there's a lot of clues embedded in here for what I think is going to happen in season seven. Uh, Meanwhile, Arya also meets up with Ed Sheeran and a bunch of soldiers. Yeah, are they um 
They look like they were wearing Lannister armor, right? Uh, I... It's what it looks like, but I couldn't quite tell. I, I mean, they yeah. might be Lannister army, uh, but I couldn't quite make it out. I'd have to go back and take another look at it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what she's doing with this group. I don't know, um, you know, if, if this is just a, a group of people she's meeting up with because survival in numbers or, or what. We don't really, uh, we do know that Arya is going south right now. Which right, she's in the Riverlands. Yeah, she's in the Riverlands still. She's heading to King's Landing because she says that she's going to kill Cersei. Yeah. So I'm concerned with something um, when I rewatched season six. Um, there was something that Jack and Hagar had said to uh, Arya in regards to not being fully trained as a faceless man and using these faces. And he says that it can drive somebody crazy. And she's been using these faces quite a bit and, and she's not fully trained. So I'm wondering then if there's going to be something off with her or I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be something with her going crazy or something this season. Well, I mean, she did just murder an entire hall full of people. Well, that's true. So, I mean, she might already kind of be there. But, yeah, I think that's that's interesting to note. Although I don't put a whole lot of stock in Arya's Bravosi story, just because I feel like they kind of abandoned it. Although yeah. it would make sense within the within the context of the story that the Faceless Men would not be done with her. But I kind of feel like we're done with them in the show. No, I do, no, I do too. I do too. And, and, and what I'm saying has nothing to do with I don't think they're coming back or anything like that. I just remember him saying that if, if you're using these faces and you're not fully trained, it can drive you mad. It can make you go crazy. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if that's kind of a little clue to something we might be seeing with her this season. Possibly. Possibly. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is Euron Greyjoy. Uh, they, yeah. they're kind of thrusting Euron into the limelight as a, as a central antagonist this season. What do you think of his, uh, chat with Cersei and the, the friction between he and Jamie? What did you think of that stuff? Well, first of all, I thought, uh, his thousand ships that they crafted, uh, seemingly very quickly. I was, I'm wondering what the timeline is of how long this is between after he was crowned and, and now, but uh, the design of their ships is amazing. It was yeah. just beautiful as it's cutting through the water, but um, you're on ship. I, I believe it's called the silence. If I remember correctly, it is a yeah. beautiful ship. I noticed that yeah. as soon as it started sailing by gorgeous. So I thought that was really interesting. And this is something that we kind of speculated on as well that we thought that uh, Cersei and Euron would be aligning, but I was surprised that she actually sent for them. Yeah. So I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, not that that really changes the trajectory of anything. I just thought that was an interesting take or interesting detail that she, she actively sent for them to have them come to her um, and then turned down his proposal, which I thought was very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. That so I I'm not sure what she's trying to do necessarily, but one of the things that I was left with was at the end. So Euron says that he's going to bring her some kind of a gift, yep, to prove his intentions. What do you think that gift is? Because I have an idea, and it might be crap, but I have an idea. 
Uh, well, I think he's going to try to attack Daenerys' fleet. I do too, and I think that gift is going to be Tyrion. I do not think the gift is going to be Tyrion. You don't? No. So, and the reason why I say that is because there, just before this declaration of him wanting to present her with a gift, he's they're talking about family, and he's talking about murdering a brother, and and he tells her, you know, you should try it. Yes. And yes, they cut to her looking at Jamie and back and forth, or Jamie looking at her. But then after he declares he's going to give this gift, I'm like, it's going to be Tyrion. I mean, Tyrion was the was in an, in an episode, he was the gift. And I think Euron is going to try and make him a gift again. Now, whether or not it actually happens, I don't know. But I think that might be what he's talking about. He might he might try to get Tyrion. He's not going to, though. I, I, that wouldn't no, make I don't a whole so lot of sense. Plus, Tyrion will be well guarded. Uh, but... I think there are people that Cersei would want that would not be as heavily guarded as Tyrion that Euron could very easily bring to Cersei. And uh, Cersei mentioned their names in, or mentioned her name in the episode. I think it's Ilaria Sand. That is very possible as well. Ilaria Sand killed her daughter. That's true. That's true. And yeah. I think that would be a, a good gift for Euron to give Cersei. Um, yeah. But on Euron, though, I love the way this actor owns the room when he's in it. Yes. Like, he has this kind of devil-may-care kind of thing, like, this just, like, completely amoral pirate. No, he's not intimidated by the room or the throne or doesn't, even the mountain to a certain extent doesn't look like it intimidates him too much. Yeah. So maybe to his own detriment, maybe his ego is his weakness. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, I I think I'm going to really like Euron Greyjoy in that, like, love to hate him kind of way. Yeah. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about is the stuff going on with the Brotherhood Without Banners and the Hound. Wow. The Hound looking into the fire and seeing the army of the dead. This We are so far removed from season one of this show yeah like now we've got the hound seeing things in the fire and like what what is going on with his arc his arc is really starting to fascinate me well i I love that um (laughs) i mean he calls over the hound and he's like come on over this 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 fireplace isn't or this fire's not gonna bite and that little look that the hound gives him because the hound is disfigured because he was thrown into a fire um, I just thought that was kind of funny and a nice little subtle yeah. um, look. But yeah, I thought that was an incredible thing. And then with him burying that father and daughter that uh, from a couple seasons ago, um, I'm assuming that that's the same house that they were at a while ago. Yeah, this this redemption, this personal redemption and almost piety of the Hound uh, yeah. is a very fascinating arc for him. Like, I'm really curious where this goes for him now. Because this has introduced just some new dynamics into this story. Uh, he also hates Thoros of Mir's man bun. <laughs> yes. And so do I. <laughs> like he, I think he calls him a bald cunt. <laughs> there was a lot of really good banter in that scene with those characters. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, the conversations, like, you know, obviously I feel like we're being set up with some of these characters to get interested in them and then only to lose them later on in the season. Like, I'm fascinated by the Brotherhood Without Banners now. Um, And, like, what is this setting up? What is this introducing? And I think this stuff with the Hound and with Beric and, uh, like, I think this is leading to a very interesting place. And it grabbed me immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking about how the Brotherhood Without Banners storyline kind of grabbed me. Speaking of being grabbed, Jorah tried to grab Sam in Old Town. Yeah, yeah, that's that. We were correct in that hand that we saw. We're like, I think that's Jorah in there. So Jorah is at the Citadel or is at Old Town. And uh, hopefully that is where he is going to find his cure. Yeah, well, he's, he, he's in the right place for it. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, it kind of teases Dragonstone, um, you know, throughout the episode. And in the finale of this episode, we actually get to see Daenerys arrive at Dragonstone. And the Dragonstone set design is gorgeous. I thought it looked amazing. Well, even, I mean, once you got inside, it's beautiful, but the, the outside of it, you know, the, the winding wall leading up to the castle itself, and even just at the gates um, outside on the beach, I thought was beautiful. These wonderful dragon carvings. I, the design of this show has just been absolutely phenomenal from the sets to locations to um I mean, especially costuming even just in this one episode has been absolutely incredible yeah i think dragonstone looks amazing i think that moment it was done with minimal dialogue it looks gorgeous it's expensive as hell so you know where a lot of this production budget money went to when they're establishing these shots of dragonstone Dragons flying all around, you get the big long staircase, all this stuff, you know, minimal dialogue for the characters, just awesome. We see the old, um, the old map table where we saw it previously when Stannis was Dragonstone, but it was the, the old map carved by, uh, you know, uh, Aegon Targaryen. So this is a really great setup for her. She's in a good spot. And now we know. Because Sam is sending word to John about what's at Dragonstone, we now see the potential for some sort of trade arrangement happening or uh, John needing to barter or purchase Dragonglass from Daenerys. This is the first inclination of a potential um, meeting between Danny and John. Yep. And that was one of the things I hoped we would see. And, and John was talking about it. You know, they're making actual preparations. And I'm glad that given the speed of the story that we uh, are still getting these moments because it makes it a reasonable, uh, believable story for these two to potentially meet. Yeah. And uh, I just just in how much we were given in this episode and knowing that this is a shorter season, I have a feeling that they... Um, could potentially be meeting a lot sooner than we think. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. I think that could happen very soon. Yeah. So it's going to be great to dig into this episode a few more times and then do our full breakdown, which we'll probably post late Tuesday night 
uh, early Wednesday morning. So you guys will be able to check that out on our uh, podcast feed, which you can find on iTunes, you can find it on Stitcher, or you can just go to our website, nerdflixandchill.com, where you can find all of our other past episodes that we've done on Game of Thrones. I think we did about half of Season 6 with these kind of detailed recaps. We did a wrap-up episode for Season 6. We've also done stuff for... Um, the trailers for Season 7, so you can hear some of our thoughts and speculation there. But we hope you guys have enjoyed our first episode of Game of Thrones First Take. Please be on the lookout for our full breakdown episode coming later this week. Take it easy, everybody. And may the Force be with you, because the night is dark and full of terrors. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 